Welcome to Health from the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lily Hartwell, a licensed naturopathic doctor on a mission to catalyze the journey toward overcoming your autoimmune disease. We'll show you the tools and how you can grow through this podcast. Today's podcast guest is Afia Solter, a mindset and manifestation coach who teaches ambitious millennial women how to manifest their extraordinary life by overcoming their limiting beliefs, finding and living their soul's purpose, and connecting to their intuition. It's difficult to know where my story really begins, but I would say um, at the age of 14, I was orphaned, and that led to me growing up without family and without parents, and kind of throughout that whole time at school until I went to university, I just had this desire to have a normal life. And then by the time I was getting to university, I was not only having like the normal life that I saw all my friends having that at that time seemed so out of reach for me, but I was also doing things that were out of the ordinary. I was willing, I was winning scholarships. I was going on these trips overseas and I was doing all of these incredible things that I never really saw for myself. And Really, my life was getting to this point that when I went back to university after I finished for the first time, I went back to study for my master's. And it was then when really kind of all of those old feelings came up of, okay, what am I going to do next? I don't really have anyone to support me. How am I supposed to choose? Like what path I go down next? And really overcoming that was what led me to starting my coaching business years later for my own journey to finding my soul's purpose and realizing how many other women struggle with it, but are also kind of ashamed to talk about it or don't know who to turn to, to say something's not quite right in my life. And, you know, a lot of people say that they don't know what to what, what they want to do. And I'm sure there are a few people that don't know what they want to do, but most people do know. They just want the permission and someone to help them have the courage to go after it. So that's what I discovered. And that's kind of what my ethos is, is empowering ambitious millennial women to kind of chase their dreams, manifest that extraordinary life for themselves and overcome those limiting stories that are stopping them from getting there. That's so beautiful. I absolutely prescribe to everything you just said. It's like, I'm your demographic. (laughs) That's funny that you said seeking permission because I was just listening to a podcast that was talking all about that. Like oftentimes people will will tune into some kind of frequency where they're basically asking for validation. And Mm. it was something that kind of reckoned it in a weird way, it resonated with me. I wasn't expecting it to because I'm such an independent person, but I, it Mm. kind of, for me, tapped into my culture, my cultural belief. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm half Hispanic and very much. So the way I was raised, um, in different ebbs and flows was speak to when spoken to and sort of sit in the, be respectful of your elders. And while that I do definitely see the value in that, and I continue to be very close with my grandparents um, that are alive and up until their passing. But it was something for me that came up as I'm so used to asking for permission. Like, is it okay if I do this? It even used to come up for me in retail where it would be time to take the 15 minute break. And I found myself asking my manager, even though the store wasn't open yet, is it okay if I go on my 15 instead of saying, I'm going on my 15, I'm letting you know. And it's just like that slight change. It's a slight shift. I still like towards the end would, would remind myself. And it's that subtle thing of I'm so trained to ask for permission. And then being a doctor who's holds space for other people, having to remind myself that I've already 
I've already earned the, per there's no permission necessary here. And so when I see it happening with other people and patients in my, in my clinical setting, I'm like, oh, let's just step back into our power. So that's so beautiful and amazing that you brought that up. What a wonderful story. Let's also talk a little bit about where you're from, because our, our viewers might, might hear a little bit of an accent. Yeah, so I'm actually from Scotland, but not a lot of people pick up on that accent. They can definitely tell I'm, I'm living in Australia. People can definitely tell that my accent isn't Australian, but beyond that, they're like, I'm really not sure. So mostly what I'm hearing, though, is, is your struggle and strife brought you clarity, and then from that clarity, you are able to assist others and hold space for others. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I think that, you know, when you're in the midst of it, your struggle just seems like just that, just a struggle. But when you look back on these events that have happened in your life, you still wouldn't take any of them away because they've contributed a huge part to who you are now. Yeah. And, and their opportunities there, there's so much opportunity for growth. Um, I'm really working on coaching the reframe about the word problem. Because that seems to be like a, I feel like I have monthly themes. This month's theme is a lot of my patients feel like a lack of self-worth and mm. they talk about all these problems in their life and this problem and that problem and they're overwhelmed by their problems. And a mentor of mine, um, two mentors, two separate mentors in one week brought up that the problem is just an opportunity and it's a solution. And I know everyone has a different way of looking at that, but I was just curious how, how do you um, experience challenge and obstacle and do you do a reframe or how do you process that? Definitely. So I think I was definitely more of someone who is maybe a little bit more pessimistic, whereas now I wouldn't even say that I'm overly optimistic. I would just say that I have a more balanced view on life. So when things come up, I feel like I can take a minute to take a more rational approach rather than feeling like everything's falling apart. And I think having that kind of detached outlook can sometimes be better than being strongly negative or strongly positive, just being detached and being like, okay, like, let's just look at the facts. Let's look at what we can do and also looking back over your kind of past history and being like okay everything in my life up until this point and there have been a lot of things I have managed to get through all of that so whatever happens I'm going to get through this too it's just giving myself time to work through this and not being afraid to reach out to other people if you need help as well definitely and something else that when you were speaking just struck with me also is the idea of what's the worst that can happen there's so mm. much fear and there's so much like tight grip around things and situations. And so um, I recently just asked a patient, so what's the worst thing that could happen? Like you're so afraid of, she was bringing up, she's afraid of being successful. And, and that kind of trickles down in all aspects of her life, including her development of an autoimmune condition. So the idea of you know, why, why can I not have success in my health, in my career, in who I am as a being, and then saying, okay, so you fear that you'll be too successful. So you live small. What, I mean, we could go on and on about the payoffs of living small and, and from that mentality, but something that came up for me to tell her was, 
so what if you're successful and everything and you lose everything? That was her following statement is then mm-hmm. I'm afraid to be successful and then lose everything. So what if you lose everything? Um, James Wedmore brings up uh, oftentimes. So what if you lose everything? You have already done it. So you already know how to redo it and it'll be that much mm-hmm. easier. Would you call yourself a life coach or how do you refer to yourself? Um, I refer to myself as a mindset and manifestation coach, but I guess that could definitely fall under the life coaching umbrella. I've been learning a little bit more about all of these different words, you know, because what people specialize in in medicine is like, oh, I, my specialty is technically naturopathic medicine, but Mm. I'm a general practitioner because in the state of Arizona, I'm a primary care physician. Um, And Mm. whether or not licensed naturopaths choose to do that is has a lot to do with their training. So people like get emphasized in, in certain things or they, they focus on studying certain things. And whereas autoimmunity is something that I focused on in my training, but at the same time, all of my autoimmune patients are going to have general symptoms. And it's so much easier for me to provide primary care if I know what they're doing for their autoimmunity, because what they'll do is they'll go see their primary care and they'll be like, well, why are you on this, that, and the other for a cold or something? And then they'll think that everything's going to contraindicate with medication. And while I definitely think that sometimes that's something that's going on, I honestly, (laughs) if I'm the primary care, I already know why they're taking that. And it makes the whole thing streamlined and so much easier. Um, So the idea of mindset and manifestation versus life versus transformation, is is that all sort of in the same league? Or would you say um, you specifically set yourself apart in a certain way? I think for me, the way that I set myself apart is that the way that I teach mindset and manifestation is very grounded. It's not just spirituality, but a combination of spirituality, strategy and science. And then the other thing, the other couple of things I do that are different as well is that I focus not on positive thinking, you know, which in the spirituality community is like, just think positive and your life will change. And I focus more on neither positive or negative thinking but self-awareness and self-compassion and just it's more getting to know yourself and when the thoughts do come up that are in inverted commas positive or in inverted commas negative you are the one that is attributing them positive or negative there is no universal good or bad we are the ones that create our own scales so if this is falling on your bad scale or if this is falling on your good scale why is that and if it makes you feel uncomfortable inside what can you do to shift that and how can you sit with that feeling for a moment as well it's not just like get rid of the bad feelings but sit sit with those feelings and actually allow yourself to feel those feelings i think it's very important to feel everything and to honor all of your emotions and all of these parts of you are beautiful even if they're something that typically you're taught to push away like jealousy or anger what is lying beneath them it's often a deep desire for something and I think that's incredibly powerful and incredibly beautiful and then I guess the last way that I differentiate myself is that I have a framework for manifestation and I think when it comes to spiritual practices and mindset and manifestation is that everybody is so 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 different and I think the beauty of having a framework is it's okay these are the overall steps but what spiritual practices you choose to use at each of these steps is completely up to you because everyone has their own unique blueprint and maybe you'll have these steps that you use for three months and then another three months you'll feel completely different but you just have that kind of framework to follow to keep you kind of on track in a strategic perspective. What happens if you don't process these emotions and then you just keep going and telling yourself you're supposed to be in this one even keel 
We see that there can be a cellular change. And in some people, it seems to manifest as autoimmunity. Um, There are so many different theories and there's predispositions and genetic changes and polymorphisms, but that's something to consider is that in the event that you don't process your emotion, it can make you sick from a psychosomatic level, from a cellular level. And sometimes it's causing you to attack yourself, like your cells to attack yourself in the form of autoimmunity because you're not, you're not processing the emotion. And I see this so frequently is people will come in and, you know, they're, positive all the time. And then when something negative or, you know, I don't really like that word negative, something Mm. other is comes up for them. Then instead of being able to process it, they, they look to push it away and not, and not move with it. And I'm one of those, I really support people processing their emotions as well, because I do believe that we positivity on a cellular level is really healthy, but I also believe that we're humans on here for a human journey and a human experience. And that if we are experiencing these thoughts and situations and emotions that pushing through them instead of processing them can only lead to, or in my, this is all my opinion, can, can really lead to negative effects with your health. And we're starting to see this a lot in the literature. Um, even the, the idea of the placebo effect comes to mind. You see how many people benefit from thinking that they are taking a medication or a supplement or that they are receiving the full extent of a procedure. And it's that mindset, that emotional component, that's the self-healing initiative. Um, and so it does you know, largely fall into critique, but that is something that we take note of. We see the effect of a placebo sometimes being in tandem with what's going on in the trial itself. So I agree that this, this, it's almost like a, a dogma that's been perpetuated that we must be positive all the time. Mm. And I'm a rainbow unicorn kind of sparkly glitter person, 100%. But I'm also, oh my goodness, this human just died that I was super close to. I feel like I need to honor it, or I feel like it would be serving to honor them. And there is a process and I support it, you know, with the modalities that I have Mm. at my disposal. I don't just go off, you know, there's tapping involved in homeopathy and sometimes a very carefully chosen botanical remedy. But in that process of going through those emotions, I feel I've seen so much improvement in clinical practice. Um, And also when we're doing our, my intake, I do a thorough, excess, excessively thorough intake, I'm told. But we uncover things in the process from a mental, emotional standpoint that some people haven't spoken about, haven't identified. And in your situation, you right off the bat identified, uh, you know, I became an orphan at age 14 and I went through this whole life experience and you recognize there could have been trauma that you associated with that childhood, with that growing up. But a lot of people, they just think that it's, normal. They just think that it's quote unquote, the human experience. They don't talk to anyone about it. They don't process it. They don't seek some additional way of unpacking it. And then what may result is low back pain or ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease where they, their GI is processing everything. And because we hold, you know, some say between 70 and 90% of our neurotransmitters in our gut. So if your gut's not healthy or you're not 
mentally, emotionally healthy, you could have some kind of presentation in your physiological cells, which is just, it's mind blowing. It's so interconnected. So I agree this oppression um, and suppression of emotions, we so frequently see um, in autoimmunity as well as in weight gain um, in choosing vices to process things instead of sitting with the emotion. But that doesn't come easy. So you were talking about breathing through it Um, and you, and essentially it sounded like you were describing a reframe. Um, is that, Mm. what do you call it? That process of, of unpacking and processing it? I think it's just like processing your emotions and processing your feelings. And I think the other thing to say as well is if you're, you know, you're always aiming for that level of positive and happy all the time, you have to understand like not everyone around you is going to be like that. And that can then lead to you isolating from these people who, you know, they're just living their normal lives, but you're like, oh, I can't be around them because they're not positive all the time. So that actually ends up like isolating yourself from these people as well. So it's important to note that, yes, you are an individual, but also you're connected to everyone else. And how is the way that you process your emotions, showing other people around you how to process theirs, or how are they feeling around you? Like, are you creating a space where everyone else feels comfortable as well? That's very important. I I agree that self-awareness, recognizing um, how other people are experiencing you. That's a very interesting take. So when you hear the phrase, you are the, uh, the summary, the summation of the five people closest to you, how do you process that phrase? What comes for you? I think yes and no. And I think something that people forget about this phrase is that the number one person that you spend the most time with is yourself. So some might hear that phrase like, oh, the five people I spend time with and try and surround themselves with these like really amazing people. But what, are you, what work are you actually doing yourself to make yourself, you know, one of those people that someone would want to be around? So yeah, I think it is important to surround yourself with people who uplift you, but they don't necessarily have to be the same as you or have the same goals as you. In fact, you might have some opinions that are really differing, but all that matters is that they value you as a person, I think. Did you ever watch Winnie the Pooh when you were- When I was younger, yeah. When you were younger? Yeah. I, all of a sudden, while you were speaking, I thought of Eeyore and, you know, Eeyore's the depressed donkey friend, yeah. but he's still surrounded by, you know, he go we go from the extreme of Eeyore to, to Tigger and, you know, mm. Winnie with a honey loving addiction where I'm sitting there thinking like, do you have diabetes? Are you going to develop diabetes? And then Piglet, who's so precious. And then there's, you know, Rabbit and the Wise Owl, but they aren't, they aren't in the immediate circle. So it's super interesting. Um, as you were describing that, that's what came up for me is that little tribe of people. And it's something that I've been considering a lot, actually, um, as, you, as we go deeper into this pandemic, is I'm feeling like a lot of the healthcare practitioners are sticking to their themselves because they, they want to be protecting mm fellow practitioners and and their families and their patients. And I've noticed that they really aren't the same as me. And that's kind of what brings us together. Um, One of my favorite colleagues, I don't think that she could be more further from me. She's one of my closest friends, but we're very type A, type B personality, but that brings Mm -hmm. us together because we're accountable to each other. But then we also, she'll remind me 
to schedule more self-care time and I'll remind her, Hey, remember that business goal that you wanted to, did you do that? And then she'll be like, Oh God, you're reminding me of that. But I think that there can be so much growth from surrounding yourself with people who value your relationship and your friendship and want you to have a better life and are open to supporting you in that way rather than, oh, she's kind of negative today. And I don't know that I want her energy today. And it also Mm. calls to space that each individual, exactly what you said, spends the most time with themselves. And that's been heightened so much for me lately is if there is a moment where I'm unhappy or I feel isolated and alone, I ask, what can I do for myself? And And it resulted with me picking up my painting again, which I recommend you all do anything that's self-care, anything, you know, for me, it's crafting um, and just tapping back into that, the tangible and, and that it doesn't have to have an end result has been really powerful Mm. for me just because sometimes I make something and I'm like, Oh, you know, it's just going to be on the wall and it's not very, it's not very good. I like place the judgment Mm. on myself Um, which is super interesting to watch and unpack like if it was as though I was an outsider to myself. So you're, it sounds like you're, you talk about breathing as a way to tap into the state of flow. Is there anything else that you find shunts people back? I'm all about the processing, but once they've processed and they're like, okay, how do I go back to being me? Do you have Mm. any things that work best for you or your clients? I definitely think journaling is an incredibly powerful practice and that act of self-inquiry in written form and people it's it's funny how completely different it is writing down with a pen and paper as opposed to typing something on the computer and I had with one of my clients and after each session I give my clients journal prompts to go away and do and the first week I could see she was reading out the answers from her computer. I was like, okay, let's next time just try writing the answers down. And it was a completely different experience. So sitting with yourself and actually taking the time to write out your emotions, even if you feel like you don't have anything on my mind, on your mind, trust me, there will be so much that when you get that pen to the paper that all these things will come out. And the other great thing about this is that you can begin to see patterns. You can look back over a week, over two weeks, over a month and say, wow, this keeps coming up for me a lot. Why is that? And then maybe even go deeper into that one specific theme. Like, why is this coming up? And you really have this great relationship with yourself. And I think that relationship with yourself and your own intuition is one of the most beautiful connections that you will have, but it's one that we're not really taught to explore. It's something that you wouldn't learn at school or at university to, to talk to yourself in this way. So as an adult, it's almost like you have to unlearn that you get the answers from everyone else and start learning that you have so many answers inside of you it's just about how to get to those answers and how to also when you find those answers trust your own voice Mm, that's powerful that's powerful trusting your own voice tapping into your goddess energy but i do want to say it's super powerful to me to journal and i notice that the times when i am feeling the most turbulent are the times where i journal the most the introspection mm. the, the manner of self inquiry it's so powerful and unfortunately it's not something that we're taught right we're and even we're we're even taught to silence our inner voice And there's Mm. so much to be said for that inner voice, that intuition, that gut feeling, um, whether it manifests in your gut or your heart space, 
wherever it's coming from, it's super powerful. So I use that as a, as a medium as well for a lot of my patients and processing their gratitude, processing their day. If they're extremely rough on themselves and hard on themselves, how, how do we develop their self-worth so that they can see all the beautiful things that I see as their practitioner? I noticed that you also travel a lot. I mean, times are different right now, but you seem to have the wanderlust that I have. And it's interesting to hear a little bit of the backstory. You were able to go on a lot of those opportunities through scholarship because that was also my story. Um, so a little bit of context for you. And our, although I'm sure our listeners have already heard, um, I've studied a lot of different indigenous cultures and I'm quite fascinated um, a little bit of context for you. My great-grandmother and my grandmother were healers. Um, they used Mexican traditional medicine to use herbs primarily um, as a healing form and modality. So as I grew up, um, I got really sick with a chronic infectious disease and apparently the surgeons wanted to cut my lymph nodes out. They were the size of golf balls. Wow. And there we for over a year, they couldn't get them down. So they wanted to cut them out. And my dad was like, those are those are a component of her, her immune system. And you just want to remove it. You know, um, that's kind of scary. Cause it's like all around the brain anatomy. And if that's mm. taken out, then infection will go straight, you know, well, not straight, but through the dura mater and into your spinal cord and your brain. So he took me to a native American healer, um, a shaman and with their special, the tribe special permission. And he used botanical medicine to heal me. And I kind of went on this journey ever since then I was so little um, and I was healed and I was so little. I feel like I didn't know it, but as I got older, I was reaching out to learn more. So I landed in places like Thailand and Haiti and um, three months living in Africa in the country of Namibia, studying how all these different amazing tribes utilize plant medicine. And I feel like there's so much to be said. You, you also, as a transplant from Scotland to Australia, can probably experience and attest to this as well. And all of your, I would love to hear more about your travels. But it's come kind of to me this global perspective of if you haven't really traveled outside, and then it doesn't even have to be outside of the country, outside of your sphere, outside of the group of people. Um, I, I know some people who are still best friends with their their neighbor from when they're a child. And I am as well, my best friend um, that I grew up with when I was five. But my sphere of what I've experienced and who's in my tribe and what all I've gained and gleaned, I really, I have come to I identify that as being not a product of where I came from and a product of the experiences that I had. So I'm just a little curious. I want to know from your wanderlusting experiences, how, how has that manifested for you and how you are as a being and what you see with your clients and, and speak, speak to that? Yes, for sure. So I actually started uh, my like recent venture into travel, I guess, was in 2016 when I initially decided to move to Australia. And I was meant to be moving with a friend and then three weeks before she said she wasn't gonna be coming anymore. So I actually ended up going on that trip alone and I was really scared to travel by myself and have all these experiences by myself. I was scared, like, who am I going to meet? Am I going to meet anyone? What if something happens? And I was also struggling with anxiety at the time. My flatmate was worried. I'd have, like, a panic attack abroad. So there's all these things going on. And then when I actually got out there, um, my first stop was Thailand. So when I landed in Bangkok, I was just like, wow, this is incredible. And 
it was just way, way better than I could have imagined. And then basing myself in Australia, I then solo traveled to maybe 10 countries while I was over there and I would just like take a solo trip out. So definitely through those experiences and also proving to myself that I could travel solo, that I had the confidence to travel solo, that as a black woman, I could navigate the world alone. And all these different experiences has hugely, has hugely changed the way that I see the world. And also it was kind of from solo traveling and sharing my experiences online that women would reach out to me and ask how that I'd done it, how I'd had the confidence to travel solo. And though I initially started talking about my travels and how I solo traveled, it kind of evolved into the mindset and manifestation because it wasn't just how do you have the courage to travel solo? It's like, how do you have the courage to go down a different path? How do you have the courage to chase your dreams? How do you do this? And like, how are you getting these like free travel experiences? So it did all kind of evolve quite organically from that like seemingly chance decision to decide to go solo that one time. Wow, how beautiful. That's something I, I still struggle with. Um, so that's so interesting that you bring that up. This just this past October for my birthday, I I had was supposed to arrive for a conference. The conference got canceled. I already had booked the um, Airbnb and the flight, and it was just you know almost a thousand dollars down the drain. And I I had an issue with that at the time, which now I would be like, oh, what did, what served you? What didn't serve you? But I decided to go on the trip and I stayed by myself. I had originally planned to go with two colleagues of mine um, who ended up not coming because the conference was canceled. And it was a beautiful experience. I realized though I had traveled and lived in a hut in the Amazon, it was a completely different experience. It was in the States because everything that's been going on. Um, so that was also all heightened. I got on a flight wearing an N95 mask and this plane in particular, they packed us in a way that I didn't know that they were doing on planes, which apparently only this airline was doing. Um, so I was battling all of that as a, as a practitioner and these people not really practicing social distancing or, or wearing their masks properly. So very interesting process in and of itself for that and my own fear about contagion and um, immunity and self-healing mm. and as well as renting my own, my car for the first time, I realized that my partners had previously rented it. Just all these small minute things driving in a completely mm. different city. Cause usually when I travel, I'm in a tut tut or a, a motorcycle, like with someone else. It, it really, or it's catching a random taxi on a side street in Thailand, which I'm sure you really experienced as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a different experience. And um, typically, you know, I didn't really register all the things that as an individual um, I would experience. So yeah, that's amazing going to 10 different countries solo. My experience alone in the States was interesting because I am such a petite person. I recognized the self-limiting belief of not being able to protect myself, which mm. I didn't really know was there. Um, it's so interesting when you put yourself in these new experiences, which the listeners all know, and I'll share with you, I do as many things as I can that scare me a week, I, at least five things a week that really scare me or make me uncomfortable. So I can face fear and kind of just deal with the idea of fear and how can we navigate that so that that's not what's being called into our space. And so I recognize the self-limiting belief that I wouldn't be able to protect myself, but what is that presence that I would even get put in a situation where I had to protect myself? It's then mm. I was coming to terms with how did I view the world where I felt 
that I had to be concerned about protecting myself. I was processing all of that. You know, I had no idea that a canceled medical conference would allow me to continue to further myself and my growth. And I had a couple moments where I called my parents and I was like, wow, what am I doing? How crazy is this? And I, you know, being someone who's lived in entirely different, like developing countries, I never would have thought I would still be processing some of that. So I'm a huge fan of putting yourself in uncomfortability and facing it and standing in your own. And so that's fabulous that that's what kind of spurred your organic evolution as a coach. Wow. How powerful. Outside of your coaching services, what do you do? So you travel, but now it's like, oh, are we doing that? Um, so I like to do yoga, go to the gym. That's really important to me. And, you know, especially now spending time with friends is something I'm doing a lot more of, whereas before I would have um, spent a lot more time working. Whereas now I do take the opportunity when I do have time off around the weekend to make sure that I'm connecting with people and going out of my way to spend time with my friends, especially as living here in Melbourne, we had like the first lockdown and then we'd had like a month after down and then we went back into second lockdown which was an additional three months or something so maybe like um six months in total in lockdown here as well so it was quite a while wow so what does that look what does the lockdown look like for you guys so initially the first lockdown was just that you know you mainly had to stay in your house none of the shops or anything were open and then when it came to the second lockdown we had to stay in the house for 23 hours a day you're allowed to go out for an hour for exercise and then you have to come back we also had a curfew so we couldn't leave the house from um after i think it was from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. you had to be at home during that time. Um, you could only go to the supermarket once a week and you couldn't go with anyone else. You just had to go by yourself. And masks were mandatory as well everywhere. Did anything come up for you while you were in that lockdown? Did, was there anything that you processed that you weren't expecting to? It was, it was definitely challenging. And I think um, maybe the biggest challenge for me, and I guess it's still something that I think about now, although it's not as pressing an issue because I'm not just like sitting at home alone all the time, but it was just the fact that, you know, obviously my family is based in the UK and I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back there again. And it's, I normally go home once a year. It was already been a year. So that by the time the borders open and stuff, it's going to be at least two years by the time I see my family and friends again. So that was a bit of a, like, I think that was the biggest thing that came up for me. So you mentioned the gym and yoga. Do you find a lot of peace with that? What does that bring for you? Yeah, definitely. I think yoga has just been such a big part of my life, especially for the past two years. And it was something I was always like, oh, well, I'm not very flexible. can't do yoga. <laughs> Again, misconceptions around meditation and okay, I just can't, like, I'm not allowed to think anything for the next hour. But when I actually learned that it's more about connecting with your highest self and, you know, so much trauma is actually stored in your body. So stretching, especially yin yoga, which is the type of yoga that I enjoy the most, those deep stretches are just so powerful. And I really enjoy that process. And then also the gym, which is not necessarily something that I do for fitness, but more for mental clarity. I just enjoy the way I feel like after I've been to the gym for the day or even for the week, I feel, I feel accomplished. Those endorphins, you've got, you've released mm. those endorphins. Yin yoga is also my favorite. Um, there's so much to be said for that grounding. And I call it moving meditation, the yin yoga as, as moving mm, meditation. Yeah. 
there is that misconception around meditation, um, which I've been working to educate, is that it doesn't have to be sit for an hour in, you know, total visual impairment with with no outside stimuli and quiet all of your thoughts. Um, in fact, it can be just med- meditating in movement and walking in yoga is one of my favorite ways to personally achieve meditation because in the process, I just go with that flow and so many things come up. Um, have you ever had any epiphanies when you've reached corpse pose? Yeah, all the time, all the time. That is like so many epiphanies through yoga and it's just even situations that you, you know, you thought you were done with and they come up in yoga and you, you almost see a different perspective of the situation. Like you're like a outsider What? the situation happening to two other people and it's like oh okay this suddenly makes sense now it's so much clarity it's and it's so grounding i highly recommend i highly recommend so for those also looking to pursue breakthroughs in manifestation how can our fans connect with you oh you can connect with me over on instagram at Salter underscore on my website, effytalkslife.com. You can join my Facebook community, which is the High Vibe Soul Tribe, and also recently launched my podcast, which is the Manifest Edit podcast. Yay! That's fabulous. Um, In your Facebook group, the High Vibe Tribe, what, what do you offer in there? So in the High Vibe Soul Tribe, we have live trainings. We have, it's, you know, the most important thing for me is that element of community. And I know when you're kind of new to the spirituality space, or not even you, and you just have these questions, yeah, it's one thing to Google it, but to actually ask other people and to see other people who are on the same journey as you or who are supporting you, who you can share your wins with. I think that's so beautiful. And especially this community of women all supporting each other through not only the wins, but also the times that are a little bit more challenging or when you don't hit that goal that you wanted or when something doesn't go to plan or when you're just not feeling 100% that month having those people who can rally around you and lift you up is uh, there's nothing like it that's wonderful so go ahead and join her over there if that spoke to you or resonated with you hi there thanks for tuning in let us know what you think of the show by writing a review in itunes if you screenshot before submitting, before it gets lost in the abyss for review, and send to us at drlilyhartwell at gmail.com, we'll send you a free guided breathwork. May you go on with your day in joy.